Welcome to the Conversation of Money podcast. I'm your host, Peter Komalafe, and you've guessed it, this is where we talk about money. And it is my mission to empower you, to help you make the best financial decisions possible. Why? Because money is a tool, life is for living. Let's go. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Conversation of Money podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Today is November 22nd, it is my birthday. And as you listen to this, I'll be doing absolutely nothing today until about 5 p.m. And with that being said, 5 p.m., please remember that I'm going to ask you for something a bit later on, which will be basically your present to me. I'll talk about that a bit later on in this episode. I do want to touch on crypto a little bit again uh, today, this week, because if you are holding Bitcoin, um, you would have seen that Bitcoin took a little bit of a hit last week. And many people are making videos and and there's a lot of commentary around, well, is this the, the end for Bitcoin? Is Bitcoin going to crash back down to $30,000 a coin, $40,000 a coin? And whilst anything is possible when it comes to crypto and Bitcoin specifically, I thought I would basically just talk a little bit about that today, just to give you guys the context of what is going on, what is going on, I should say, and what has happened over the past week, which has been the catalyst to Bitcoin uh, values falling as far as they did. I think at one point it was like $58,000, $59,000, which, you know, when you think about the high of 66, it's quite a big, big dip. But with that being said, though, we're talking about crypto here. So crypto is very, very volatile, as you know, and, you know, 8% days where it's in a plus is not, that's not strange. Neither is an 8% swing the opposite way where it's in a minus. So, these are concepts and ideas and things that really you have to be comfortable with if you hold crypto. But let's talk a little bit about what actually happened this past week. Now, if you guys on the podcast listen and watch the YouTube channel, you would have seen the live that I did with Ralik, who is a popular investor on eToro. He has a he follows crypto quite closely. And he and I were talking about this on Friday. So if you want to go watch a video and have a little bit of an interaction um, and see the interaction that we had, um, it's worthwhile going to watch that video on the channel. We've been literally the last one from Friday. But essentially, um, the US uh, passed their infrastructure bill last week. And in the infrastructure bill, and they do this all the time, by the way, guys, this isn't something that is, you know, sort of just been done specifically for crypto. But typically when, when there's a bill that needs to be passed in America, it might be on one specific thing. But if there is another piece of like legislation that they want to pass that may be a little bit controversial or may have, um, I don't know, I guess this uh, unpalatable kind of like angle to it, what they will sometimes do is they will throw it in with a big infrastructure bill. Now you think about these bills, these are, you know, hundreds of pages of documents. So what's basically happened is they have thrown in a piece of legislation for crypto specifically and crypto reporting. And it's this is really, really important. So as you know, regulation and, and crypto has been a, a topic of, of conversation for a very, very long time now. The, the states and most regulatory bodies and governments are trying to get a hold, control over crypto. And one of the ways that they're looking to do this, and we've seen this here in the UK, is HMRC and the um, the tax bodies in these countries, the UK and America specifically, putting more 
um, pressure on uh, exchanges and individuals to have to report their crypto portfolios. This is essentially what they've shoved into this infrastructure bill that got passed. So basically the rule is that any um, crypto transaction over $10,000 has to be reported to the IRS. Now, this this kind of legislation isn't necessarily new. Um, if you think about just general money, sending money generally in the United States, either money going in or money going out, that has to be reported. The limit is $10,000. And the reason why they did that is because of anti-money anti-money laundering and terrorism. So if you think about to think back to, I should say, to September 11, 2001, you know, the cost of that didn't, it didn't take a lot of money to actually make that happen. And since then they've had this rule in that any amount of money that is sent over 10,000 pounds has to be reported, has to be documented. The same thing kind of applies here. So if I send or receive $10,000 from anyone, crypto, and it's in crypto, I essentially have to report that to the IRS. Now, that means I have to apparently get their national insurance number or their social security number in the States and report that up the chain to the IRS. Now, many people will say, well, that's not a bad thing. And I, I personally don't think it is. I think it will make, it, uh, make crypto and the transactions um, around crypto to be a little bit more transparent. But what that does mean, it's a huge inconvenience. Imagine you're in, the, you're in America, right? and someone sends you $10,000 of Bitcoin, you then have to basically get the social security number or national insurance number of the person who sent it or sent you that $10,000 in Bitcoin and tell the IRS or HMRC in this country that this person sent you X amount of Bitcoin on this particular day. Number one, will the person who sent you the Bitcoin want to give their national insurance number or their social security number? Probably not. And then you have to go through the trouble of actually reporting to the IRS. So that's where we've seen a little bit of a dip in the crypto market at this point in time. Now, I think there are maybe a couple of uh, silver linings within this. We know that crypto in the States or the position that the United States are taking when it comes to crypto is that they do want to be the leaders, particularly after, you know, China banning all crypto transactions because they don't want any competition with their digital yuan, right? So, America kind of sees itself as this country that can take advantage of that and become the mining um, center or globally for, for cryptos and really lead the charge with the development and the expansion of crypto. But there is still this big point of contention around regulation and control of crypto as a whole. And I think this is something that everyone in the crypto space is going to be keeping an eye on. In order for this to change, which is probably is questionable, I say probably is questionable because the fact of the matter is this was shoehorned and put into the infrastructure bill in the full knowledge that it was going to get lost in the detail. And essentially now it's passed. So now it is part of law. So in order for that to be ratified, and there's a little bit of good news here, this doesn't actually kick in until 2024 which is not an immediate thing. So yes, the crypto market Bitcoin moved because of that specifically, but this isn't going to kick in until 2024. But what it does do is, whilst I say it's a good news that it's not going to happen until 2024, and there are some people trying to, some senators trying to push it back to 2026, it basically puts a question mark over the future growth of Bitcoin long-term from a US point of view. 
Now, I was saying that because it's already law, essentially, in order for it to be changed or ratified, now that it's law, will be heavily dependent on lobbyists. As you know, America is run by by lobbyists. You know, if you have lobbyists and, and people of interest who raise money and donate money to a p- particular political party, then there may be a change in the law. So there's going to be a lot of um, reliance, I guess, or I, the expectation or, um, I guess, pressure, responsibility put on crypto lobbyists and how far they can make it on Capitol Hill and how far they're going to be able to really push this issue in order for it to be ratified. Because if when this comes in in 2026, it is going to be a bit of a stumbling block. But then again, crypto isn't just about the US market. It's so much bigger than that. Okay. So yes, the US market is one of the biggest markets when it comes to, you know, the stock market and investing in general. Absolutely. You can't get around that. And this may stifle the future growth of crypto within that country itself. But there are a number of forces internally within America, within the States that will fight against this itself. Whether it gets ratified as law, I don't know. I think it will be at some point in the future. But the question is, when is it going to be ratified and what is it going to take? But like I said, the UK, Europe, the rest of the world also want in on crypto. So whilst you might see maybe a little bit of hindrance or maybe a little bit of a, I guess, bump in the road with this piece of legislation, I personally don't think that it's going to stifle crypto as a as a market or as a new asset class per se long term. But that's essentially what's happened this week with you know, Bitcoin and the price and what's been going on within the crypto world specifically. If you're holding your crypto and you're holding Bitcoin, I think it's really important just to obviously remember some of the, the fundamental basics when it comes to investing, right? You know, this volatility is part of the game. So hopefully you, you're not investing too much into crypto to the point that, you know, if it does go down to $50,000, you're not going to be completely wiped out and you can obviously, you know, stay the course and hold value. What this essentially means, and I was discussing this with Rallick on Friday, was, you know, what does it do for the future projections of of Bitcoin? You know, many people were talking about $100,000 by the end of this year. Is that likely going to happen now? We're, you know, this is 22nd of November, we've got another week here, and then we're, you know, four weeks in December. So we're about five weeks to the end of the year now. It could it could happen, possibly, get up to 100000 It could. It could. It really, really could. But is it likely? Ralik and I don't think it will be possible at the end of this year, but it, it's not a question of if Bitcoin will get to $100,000. It's a question of when. So whilst we might not get it you know, in December this year, we might get it in April. Uh, Ralik seems to think it's going to be Q1 in 2022, where it will hit that $100,000 mark. So if you are holding you know, Bitcoin specifically, you have to think about the long term. And I know that, that can be really, really difficult when you're looking at your portfolio and it might be 10% down, 8% down, but this comes with the territory. So just make sure that you're holding tight and reevaluate and obviously just make sure that, you know, you're comfortable with your position and where it is. And, you know, it, don't forget to take profits as well if you need to. And I, I say this all the time, but, you know, people often miss, overlook that and miss that because, yeah, it's great when everything's going up, but okay, do you take some off the table so that you can, you know, take advantage of the dips again, if you needed to? I've done that recently. I've taken a little bit off the table and if it does dip, I'm going to go buy a little bit more. But 
obviously this is not financial advice. Please make sure that you're doing your own due diligence, but it's important to understand those fundamental principles as well. Um, the other thing that I thought I would mention within this conversation as well is the whole ETF um, thing in America. So as you guys probably know, and I haven't done an episode on this specifically, and this is probably a good place to mention it. You know, uh, when it comes to crypto, one of my big beliefs is that in order for crypto to get to the, you know, the 100,000, well, the 200,000, 300, 400, half a million dollars a coin, you're going to need institutional money. So you're going to need money from investment houses, pension funds. I mean, in pension funds, there are $16 trillion in pension funds globally. So in order for Bitcoin to get to half a million a coin, I think you're going to need a little bit of that money being invested into into Bitcoin to provide the volume to push the price up to that kind of level. Now, over the last maybe about a month or so, six weeks, we've seen two Bitcoin ETFs come to the market. Both of them, though, are based on futures contracts. And this is important because these ETFs, these futures ETFs for Bitcoin, have been signed up by the the SEC, which is a big deal. So the regulator in the States is happy for these things to trade on the open market. And indeed, the first one, ProShares, when when it started trading, had the highest trading volume for any ETF launch in history. This thing did numbers. It really, really did. But the difference here is that because it's based on futures contracts, it's not like buying Bitcoin and holding Bitcoin. So in a a traditional ETF, so let's just say you pick the S&P 500, for example, right? You're buying those 500 companies. You own those 500 companies. You're not buying the future. You're not buying futures contracts for those. Now, just to break down what a futures contract is, a futures contract is a contract essentially to say that you will buy a company at a share price in the future of a certain amount. So for example, if it is Tesla, and let's just say I want to take out a futures contract, I could say that I think Tesla will be worth, I don't know, $1,200 in February, 2022. You take out a contract for that today. And if Tesla is at 1,500 come February, I've taken out a contract to say that I will buy at 1,200, which means I've got a $300 per share discount on that contract, right? On that futures contract. It can also work the opposite way around where I say, I think it's going to be worth 1,200 in February. And if Tesla is worth $800 in February, I still have to buy it at $1,200. So essentially with the futures contract, you're betting on a future value. You're taking out a contract on a future value. And this is exactly what these ETFs that have been agreed and authorized by the SEC basically do. They don't buy Bitcoin to actually hold them. They are taking out contracts on the future value of Bitcoin. And what has transpired um, after the launch of all of these ETFs is the fact that number one, they are very, very expensive. Um, The ProShares one is 0.98% to buy, which for an ETF is extremely expensive, extremely expensive. Then on top of that, you've got some transaction fees and then you've got storage fees as well. So you're well over 1%. I did a video on this. It might be worthwhile going and watch that, by the way. Um, But I just think that if you are a retail investor, you wouldn't touch these ETFs. It is a good place for institutions to begin trying to get access to Bitcoin specifically. But as a retail investor, it's way too expensive. But another thing that happened this week is the SEC actually declined a spot price based ETF. And what that basically means, it's not like a futures where you're buying the future value. They're actually buying Bitcoin on the day and they're going to hold the Bitcoin. 
like you would do as a retail investor. That got declined. Now, it's unclear as to whether or not that had a significant impact on the value of Bitcoin through this week, but it is one of those things that would have contributed a little bit to some of it. But the main move that we've seen is because of the whole infrastructure bill and things that I've explained before. So I know that there's a lot of detail there, guys. And, you know, if you're not maybe versed in, in crypto, maybe a lot of this um, may have been a little bit of mumbo jumbo. I completely appreciate that. If you do have questions, you know where I am. You can find me on Instagram. But I would strongly recommend go and watch the video with Radic on Friday. That will give you a little bit more context. It will also give you an insight into his views on this matter as well when it comes to Bitcoin. We talked a little bit about obviously the projections on, on price and, and things like that and some of his key takeaways from this this week. You know, this is a very complex topic, but it will take patience for people to really kind of, you know, grasp what is actually going on. But with that being said, this is my ask because today is my birthday. Um, at 5 p.m. this evening, I have a short film going out on my YouTube channel, a Conversation of Money. And this short film um, I shot about two and a half months ago, roughly. Um, it chronicles my backstory. So a lot of people have asked me, well, Pete, how have you managed to get from being homeless and being fostered to working in Canadian Wharf? This film basically covers a lot of that and it will, it goes into a little bit of my childhood and I learned things that I didn't even know before. I learned them literally on camera. So that is going out um, at 5 p.m. this evening on my YouTube channel. I would be most appreciative if you actually watched it. Um, and maybe if you do find it inspiring, which I hope it is, and that's the intent behind the video, that you also share it with someone who may actually find it useful as well. Um, the other thing that I was going to announce, oh, actually, I should have mentioned this earlier, but I didn't. So there's some very exciting news. So I've been on uh, YouTube and this podcast is coming to this two year anniversary. It's amazing how much, you know, things change within a relatively short period of time. And I say two years being a short period of time, it's felt much, much longer producing this podcast and doing YouTube. But, you know, I'm very, very thankful for the journey that I'm on right now. But a really big piece of news is I'm going to be joining um, the team at uh, Secret Spenders on Channel 4 in the new year to basically help people uh, basically get their finances in order. Um, it is a really, really big opportunity. I'm extremely nervous about it, um, but I'm also very, very excited. It will be my first like proper TV type gig to do. Um, and yeah, we are casting for that show right now. So it's called Secret Spenders. So if you're in a position where you kind of are looking at your finances right now and you know that the new year is around the corner and you want to essentially spring clean your finances, maybe save a little bit of money and we be, be shown how you can save a little bit of money and structure your finances for 2022, this show could be a really, really good thing for you. Um, I will say it's going to be on TV. So you you need to be camera confident, not camera shy. Obviously, we're going to be talking about money. And I know that that can be quite a taboo topic. And I know that that may put a lot of people's backs up because there may be a fear that you are going to have your financial business put out on national TV. I would encourage anyone to go and just type in secret spenders into maybe Google 
or, or, or something like that and just go and watch some of the old um, episodes from last year. It's done very, 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 very tastefully and it doesn't put all of your business out there. That's not the intention here, but the intention is to, number one, help people organize their finances, save money and be able to be in a position where they can use that money that they get identified as saveable into something else, house deposit, university fees, whatever that might actually be. And it will be an opportunity for people to actually work directly with me and the team over at Secret Spenders as well. So if you would like to participate in the show, the email address that you need to contact is moneysaving at southshore.uk. That's a money saving at southshore.uk. So Southshore is spelled S-O-U-T-H-S-H-O-R-E dot U-K. I would really, really love to work with you on the show and hopefully get your finances in order for 2022 as part of a financial overhaul. So I do hope that you do email and I hope to see you guys at 5 p.m. this evening on the channel. But as always, guys, thank you so much for lending me a little bit of your time um, on this podcast, listening to me. Whatever it is that you do this week, make sure that you have an amazing one. Remember, money's a tool, life is for living. I will speak to you next Monday. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to check out other episodes and share with the people closest to you. New to investing? Check out Peter's course for first-time investors designed to give you the foundation you need. If you prefer one-on-one coaching, book a complimentary discovery with the man himself. All links in the show notes. 